Thank you. Good morning. So did you ever get a gift you didn't want? Ever given something that turned out to be less than awesome? I have. It's like the pastor who got a pie gifted by a lady in his church. He was pretty excited, took it home, cut into it, took a big bite. It was terrible. He offered a bite to his wife, and she agreed. The pie was awful. So they tossed it, went straight into the garbage. But now, what was he going to tell the lady? He didn't want to lie. So after a little thought, he was prepared. Next Sunday, he took the pie plate back to her, saying, thank you so much. I'm telling you, a pie like that does not last long at our house. (laughs) Even my own family members have given me gifts that I wasn't exactly thrilled about. My wife, Terry, who's a great gift giver, has on many occasions given me gifts that I didn't yet know that I wanted or needed. Sometimes I was gracious, sometimes not so much. Still, I often find that the gift she gives me is better than what I would have picked out for myself. This is definitely true of the Beatitudes. In them, God asks us to receive as gifts things that are probably not high on our wish list. But he says, if we receive them well, these perhaps unwanted gifts will bless us. They will bring us what we deeply desire. They'll bring us to a place of peace and happiness. Now, the Beatitudes are the opening lines of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. They get their name from the Latin word beatus, meaning blessed, because each begins with the words, blessed are. Blessed means happy, fortunate, blessed, at peace, and prosperous. But the second beatitude is especially confusing because it deals with the gift of grief. What? Grief is a gift? (laughs) Evidently, it is. Jesus tells us in this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You could translate it, happy are the sad. How confusing is that? I don't know about you, but I don't usually think of grief as a gift. Mourning does not seem to go with blessing or happiness. Even so, Jesus says grief is good and that we'll find comfort on the other side of loss and discover, like all the Beatitudes, that mourning is a necessary step on our path toward the full and fulfilling life God has for us. For our key passage, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5, Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a good father, that you give good gifts, that you can, we can trust you to care for us, even if what you offer us at times seems unwanted or difficult. God, open our hearts to you. Open our minds today to receive what you have to offer us. Let us take it in. And let it become a part of our thinking, part of our attitude, and part of our life. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You may be seated. We're in a series called Now or Never, proposing that there's no time like the present to step into the good life God has for you. Last week, we looked at the power in admitting powerlessness. In the first beatitude, Jesus affirms that when we feel and admit our brokenness, our poverty of spirit, we can connect with him and with the power to change. I see this every Tuesday night as I lead in our restoration meetings here at the church. Those who come do so because they have a desire for healing. Many of them find that their addictive and compulsive behaviors are driven by pain, our misguided attempts to deal with trauma from the past. But stopping the addiction is just the first step. Without it, to numb the pain, we have to face the pain. We must feel it to heal it. Now, you may not have a crippling addiction, but admit it. Most of us will do almost anything to avoid pain. Let's face it, pain hurts. But pain is not the enemy. It's our attempts to avoid pain that get us into trouble. And facing pain is what grief is all about. Grief is a normal part of life. Bad things happen to good people. And you can't play the game of life without losing and letting go. We mourn when those we love die, but we grieve any type of loss. It could be the loss of a job or a friendship, a beloved pet, the loss of a home or our health, lost opportunities, a negative interaction, a fender bender, even little losses can cause enormous grief. If we love, we're going to feel loss. Even good events sometimes have negative side effects. For instance, new parents may grieve the loss of freedom and time for intimacy. A new job may mean the loss of a home and loss of community. How well we live depends to some degree on how good we get at grieving and letting go. In mourning, we feel our feelings and get them out because grieving helps us let go of what we can no longer have so that we can be free to embrace what God has to bring to us. Let's do a little exercise. Everybody take a deep breath, fill your lungs, and then let it out. Breathing deeply is good for the body. It's good for the soul. Now I want you to do something different. Instead of breathing in, I want you to exhale and try to push all the air out of your lungs. Push, 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 get it out. Try to get rid of every molecule of air out of your lungs and don't breathe back in until I give you thumbs up. Okay, breathe in. Feels good, doesn't it? So I have a question. Which was deeper? The first breath, when I told you to breathe in deeply, or the second inhale, when you were uh, after pushing all the dead and stale air out of your lungs? If you're like most people, it was the second one. Because our body naturally wants to refill when we empty out all the depleted air. We naturally want to take in fresh and energizing oxygen. But this principle is true emotionally as well as physiologically. If we take in more than we let out, our emotional tank feels, fills up and loses its capacity to take in anything fresh. If we don't empty out negative feelings, they take up space that progressively crowds out all the positive feelings like love and joy, gratitude and peace. It turns out you can't suppress negative feelings without also dampening the positive. The passage we read together tells us that God wants to comfort us 
in our trials. But it may also be true that while God comforts the troubled, he also troubles the comfortable. I believe he lets all of us go through things that seem so unfair, so unjust and wrong that we are compelled to wrestle with him, engaging him with our whole hearts, sharing with him our doubts, our fears, our frustrations, and our anger. Kind of like a two-year-old saying no to his mommy. Part of growing up in God is going toe-to-toe with him when life delivers a crushing blow that makes no sense to us. He wants us to be honest about our feelings and about what we want, even if we cannot have it. Rather than shutting down in the face of grief, God wants us to open up to him, giving him our whole hearts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We must get real if we want to heal. Now, when we seek him with our whole heart, the Bible says we'll find him. In fact, true surrender comes after struggle. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane struggled with grief. He was God, but also human. And in his humanity, he cried out, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He did not want the cross or the unbearable suffering Although it was the primary thing he came to the planet to do, he asked if there was any other way for his father to accomplish our salvation. Three times he begged for another option, but when no option was available, he surrendered. Each time he declared his deep desire, he also said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God wants our honesty, even if it's raw and resistant. In the Gospels, Jesus tells a little parable about two sons who were asked by the father to go work in the fields. The first one is quick to say, sure, dad, but distraction or disobedience um, kept him from actually doing the work. The second son is like, no way. But later, he had a change of heart and went. He did the work. And Jesus makes it clear that God wants us to be like that second son, clear about our feelings and desires but willing to let him have the final word. I think for all of us, there may be times God seems far away, times when he doesn't seem to care or pay attention. This was certainly true for Job. His story from the Old Testament opens us to a profound truth that is also profoundly disturbing. Even those who love God and those God cherishes most will at times feel abused and abandoned by him. In my early years, I didn't really understand this principle. I grew up in a church that basically said, if you feel far from God, it's your own fault. Sadly, that's pretty much what Job's friends ended up telling him after he lost everything in one fell swoop. They were much like our culture, determined to get away from grief. If we're not good at it, we can't fix it. We want to avoid it and shut it down. But Job knew better. He knew he did not deserve the destruction that had come upon him. Losing all his possessions and all his children made no sense. Yet he knew from his experience that God was good. So even in the worst of times, Job pressed in rather than pulling out. He wrestled with God in his grief, pouring out his hurt, his anger, and confusion. Going so far as to say to his friends that even if he slays me, I will serve him. It took a while, but Job finally got it out. He cleaned out the bowl of his suffering. And at the end of his grieving, God showed up. 
It was Job's now or never moment, and it changed him forever. In Job 42.5, he says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. His encounter with God changed the way Job saw himself, his circumstances, and his future. He was radically and beautifully transformed. Like Job, when we wrestle with mourning and grief, we ask the question, why? We become desperate for answers. But as Job found, answers don't always come. Maybe it's because they wouldn't really make sense, like a parent trying to explain to a two-year-old the need for a painful surgical procedure just doesn't make sense. And while God doesn't answer all our questions, He does show up. He gives us more of Himself. In fact, the word we translate comfort in that second beatitude means to call near. Maybe it's our grief that, that, it, that touches the heart of God, that draws Him near. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I experienced the pain and power of grief firsthand. I was born in 1955 on Christmas Day, and from the time I was seven days old, I was in church at least three days a week. Uh, the third of four children, I was the good kid. I was compliant and self-reliant. My dad was a preacher, and I never wanted to be a source of pain or problems. Early on, I had a love for God, and I wanted to be God's favorite son. I did everything I could do to gain his approval, to gain the approval of others. I wanted to be in God's army, and I wanted to lead the charge. So when I realized as a teenager that I was more attracted to guys than to girls, I was pretty much devastated. It was painful and crushing. How could it happen? Like, this was not my plan. I didn't choose it, and I didn't want it. So I set out to fix it. I prayed, I fasted, I read all I could on the subject. I memorized scripture, I confessed, I sought healing and deliverance, but nothing worked. And it all seemed so unfair. Now, when I was small, I was a very sensitive kid, but I was ridiculed for being a crybaby. So early on, I shut it down. And for many years, I did not cry at all. I was so emotionally disconnected, I couldn't even tell you what made me angry. I talked myself out of all negative feelings. I did not grieve. But the struggle in my sexuality brought all my feelings front and center. I had to feel them and admit my brokenness, my pain, my frustration, and my fears. I knew I didn't choose the struggle, and I would do anything to change it. It seemed like God had made me this way, and He wasn't helping. So He became the target of all my negative emotions. I launched on him my hurt, my frustration, my confusion, my anger, and my tears. In the process, I found I could get real with God and he didn't strike me with a bolt of lightning. He didn't reject me or shame me. In fact, he seemed calm in the face of my distress. He didn't fix me, but he didn't ditch me. And after a long, hard season of grief, I came to a place of acceptance. I realized I might not get my wish for change, but I still belong to him. And he could be trusted even if he wasn't doing what I thought a loving father would do. I was willing to do what he asked of me and willing to wait on him. There was, to be fair, a time during medical school 
when I wavered. I was weary of the struggle and considered diving into life as a gay man. Right about then, my brother committed suicide and his death shocked me back to reality. That loss was a wake-up call, reminding me that life is short, that God's word is true, and that we will all stand before him. Eventually, grieving my brother's death brought me back into the deep places in my life with God. My brother's rejection of me as a child had been a key factor in my disconnecting from my emotions, from my masculinity. It had fueled my same-sex attraction and my self-rejection. My brother Rick and I had never been close, so I had to grieve what we didn't have as much as what we did. I realized that when he hurt me early on, I had shut the door on relationship with him. When he rejected me, I, I pretty much killed him in my heart. I was so grateful that I had reached out to him several times in the weeks leading up to his death. It gave me some comfort as I grieved. It turns out that grieving the loss of a broken relationship can be more difficult than letting go of a relationship that is healthy and satisfying. But by grieving and letting go, we can come to acceptance. I came to accept his death and accept myself as God's loved son. I wasn't the perfect man, but I realized I was perfect for God's purpose. I didn't have to fit into a mold or find validation from others. My focus of well-being shifted. It wasn't about what I thought. It wasn't about what others believed. It was God's love and his acceptance that mattered. That set me free to pursue marriage and trust God to use me as he saw fit. Thankfully, my wife Terry knew of my struggles and still said yes to life together. I realized I didn't have to be attracted to all women on the planet. I just need to be attracted to one. I knew my struggle looked different than that of other guys, but I knew that all of us struggle and all of us must surrender to God's design for our sexuality. In mourning my sexual brokenness and my brother's death, I had gone through all the classic stages of grief, denial, shock, anger, bargaining. I'd gone through depression and finally acceptance. But God led me beyond acceptance. He helped me find meaning in mourning and purpose in the pain. Like my namesake, the Apostle Paul, I found that my thorn in the flesh brought me close to the healer. Let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 12, verses 7 through 10. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice that he calls his thorn in the flesh a messenger from Satan sent to torment him. Just as God authorized Satan to attack Job, God sometimes allows us to experience bad things to accomplish his good purpose. God has used my grief and my struggles to humble me and to empower me to speak grace and truth to others. Ironically, uh, he has used me to teach hundreds of men how to better love their wives, how to live lives of purity and integrity. 
And like many of those I counsel have said to me, they wouldn't change their, they wouldn't wish their struggles and losses on anyone else, but they wouldn't change them either because how God uses them to grow us up, to make us his and to make us yielded and useful. Grieving is not easy. It can be hard work and there will be tears. But I believe tears moisten the soil of our hearts. Without them, our hearts can be cold, hard, and barren. Grief, like the rain, can water the garden of our soul and let it flourish. Grieving, however, takes time. There's no quick fix. You can slow it down, but you can't really speed it up. And everyone grieves in their own way. Sometimes, though, we need help to grieve well. Our grief share group here graduated this last Tuesday, and I was invited to enjoy the banquet and to celebrate these men and women who had leaned on one another in God as they walked through the process of grieving and growing. A young woman there thanked me for, for pushing her to attend. She had lost her husband in COVID and had barely left her apartment for a year. Connecting with others in grief share activated her hope and gave her the courage to grow through the grief. She found out she could give and receive comfort through connection with others. We Christians often want to skip over grief. We think we should be happy and positive without working through the pain. And when we're uncomfortable with it, we sometimes say dumb things to people who are grieving that make it worse rather than better. Whether our own grief or someone else's, though, we must learn to be still, to let God be God. If we trust Him, He will bring healing but it may be in his way, in his time. If you want to learn to love God with your whole heart, engaging life wholeheartedly, you must address loss and negative feelings. You must do it regularly. Every day brings disappointment, frustration, and loss. Even in our best moments, we have to grieve the gap between who we are and who we wish to be. I find journaling to be the best way to get it out and process grief. It can be like digging for buried treasure, though. You have to get through the dirt to get to the gold. And of course, journaling is a discipline like going to the gym. Those who need it most may resist it most. You can give God your grief. He knows how grief feels. By sending his son to live on this dark planet, God shows us his love, his willingness to feel our pain. He endured watching his own dear son betrayed, denied, abandoned. He saw him falsely accused, rejected, ridiculed, and abused. He let his son experience the most intense agony of body and soul, made only worse by the fact that Jesus didn't deserve a moment of it. And they both knew they could end it immediately. I believe heaven wept when Jesus suffered and died, just as Jesus wept for Lazarus and his sisters even though he knew there would be a resurrection. We cannot skip over grief, for by grieving, we gain God. Through my struggle and pain, I realized I had to let go of what I thought would be my perfect life. Through letting go, though, I realized my heart belonged to heaven and that nothing on earth would satisfy my deep longings. My deep need is to connect with God. When I was struggling with pain and grief, when I was longing for connection with another man, I realized that I needed to go to God. 
Psalm 63, verse 1, became my go-to verse. It says this, O God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry, weary land where there is no water. My soul is thirsty for you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 13, the Apostle Paul affirms this change in focus by saying, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We're made for God. He wants us. Later in the same chapter, he says, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are not our own, that we belong to him. And belonging is where we find comfort in our grief. Like a mother comforting her child who sees her as mean for taking him to get a painful, a scary shot, God comforts us. He knows our suffering will end, and he knows it's needed to inoculate us against sin and make us strong. Yet he feels our pain. We can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. There are times he will comfort us in our pain, and sometimes we have to comfort ourselves, reminding ourselves of all he's done and anchoring in his promises, our beliefs that he will fulfill them as we look to him. Like a child, when mom is not available, we must find comfort within ourselves or reach out for help from others. Sometimes grief connects us with our own courage and our strength, but it can also connect us with a spiritual family. Just watch. Mm. Those of you who know Allie know she has a beautiful heart and a powerful testimony. Losing a spouse is a terrible thing, and a sudden and traumatic death is even harder to bear. Grief is complicated if there are unmet promises, unspoken words, unrealized dreams, or regrets. Untimely deaths when a person is young or in the prime of life are especially hard, and some people going through this kind of trauma are forever changed for the worse. Some of them get stalled out in life and develop something we call PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But if, like Ali, we process our pain and give it to God, we can, he can bring us through to the other side of grief with PTG, post-traumatic growth. Like her, we can all find the gifts of grief and grow. Through grief, we find grace. We can reach out to, other, to God and others to find comfort through the deep connection. Going through hard times together forges strong bonds. We can connect and find community. In grieving, we grow. We learn, lean into our faith and fortify our conviction that God is good even when things are bad. When he seems far away, we learn to self-soothe, reminding ourselves what we know of God and that he can bring resurrection after death. And through grief, we are equipped to give. We can comfort others with the comfort we've received. This is part of why grief share is so powerful. Each participant both receives and gives encouragement, support, and compassion. In our times of distress, God's promises is that if we mourn, we will be comforted. We can find calm after the storm, and mourning will come after our long night of grief. So how do we grieve well? First, feel your feelings. What you feel, you can heal. By acknowledging your dark feelings, you can step into the light. Two, make time to grieve. 
Give yourself a few minutes every day to process your grief. Write it down. Journaling helps see clearly what is there. It helps chart your progress and remember the lessons you learn along the way. Grieving takes time. As I said, you can slow it down, but you can't speed it up. You need to take time for it. Number three, reach out for support. Take advantage of life groups, counseling, grief share, restoration. Get in a Bible study. Number four, get real with God. Be honest. Press into the pain. Don't pull out. Grab on to God. Number five, ride the waves and swim back to shore. What do I mean? Keep doing life. The waves of grief will come, and when they knock you down, get back up. Go again. Take care of yourself and care for others. Number six, let grief help you grow. Romans 5, 3, and 4 tells us we can lean into our grief and honor it. Paul says, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Don't be a victim. God makes us overcomers, and we can grow most in times of trial. Number seven, turn your suffering into serving. All our leaders in grief share, divorce care, and restoration have made this choice. Our serving redeems our suffering, and serving brings joy. It turns out that what the enemy meant for evil, God can use for good. And people who serve like Jesus did are the happiest people on the planet. Once again, grief is hard. Even if we're letting go of something bad for us, grief is difficult. It can be a bad habit, a bad relationship, or an addiction. When we let go, we're going to go through withdrawal, a physical manifestation of grief. When something's obviously bad, we can comfort ourselves knowing we'll be better off on the other side. But letting go of something good is harder. Sometimes it seems all wrong when we have to let go of a wayward child, a dying spouse, a job, our health, or life itself. Even then, though, God's promise rings true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It may not happen on our timetable, but God is faithful. He will do what he says. Early in the series, Pastor Kerry talked about the wilderness and the promised land. And that what lies between is the Jordan River. For me, the Jordan River may be symbolic of our grief. The word means to go down, and sometimes we have to go down before we get back up. So if you find yourself in the wilderness today, I'm here to remind you there is more to come. The life you long for is available, but the good God has may be on the other side of something that feels very bad. You may have been avoiding the river of grief altogether, but found you're not fully alive. By shutting down the pain, you found yourself lacking pleasure and joy as well. If you choose, you can step out of denial and feel your feelings. It won't be comfortable, but it will be good. Grief is a gift, and today could be your now or never moment. Today, you can decide to go there with God. Maybe you've been medicating the pain, turning to carbs or Coke, spending or surfing the net, tequila or TikTok to avoid your pain. Maybe you've thrown yourself so hard into performance or perfectionism that you've become a human doing rather than a human being. Today, you can step off that treadmill, get still with God, feel those feelings, and remind yourself that pain is not the enemy, 
that avoiding it is what hurts us. And God be, will be with you in your mourning. Others of you, though, have not avoided the pain. Instead, you've been swept along by the river of grief. You're caught up in regrets or bitterness. Perhaps you're waiting on God to scoop you up or give you back what you lost. What you may need to do is to mobilize your strength, stand up and head for dry ground. Today may be your day to get back in the game, realizing that you lose more every day that you don't let go of what's been lost. If you have your hands full of regrets, of what ifs and if onlys, you can choose to release them, opening your hands to God's good gifts. Some of you have shut out God entirely, deciding he must not be good to have let something so bad happen to you or to someone you love. Today could be your now or never moment. You can choose to get back in the ring with God. He may not give you all your answers, but he will give you himself in a fresh way. Your wrestling draws him close and he will comfort you after the struggle. You can rest assured there will come a day when God will right all wrongs. So grief is a gift and when the tears fall, God is there. Psalm 58, eight says, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. One day, we're promised in Revelation 21.4 that God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And after that, heaven will be a place of no more. No more death, no more crying, no more sorrows, and no more pain. The old order of things will pass away, and he will make all things new. Let's pray. God, our Father, we need you. And in times of loss and grief, we need you the most. We, we must come to you, God, when we're hurt, when we fail, when we fall down. When we grieve our sin, our sorrow, our suffering, you alone can bring the comfort that we need. And for those in the audience who are crushed by grief, help them, God, find grace. Help us all to grow, to find you in the midst of our pain. Those who have been avoiding grief, God, help them to engage it. Those who've shut you out, help them open the door to you. And God, for those in this, this audience who have never opened the door to you, let this be their now or never moment to say yes to salvation, to say yes to Jesus, to invite him in to the heart that is broken, the heart that is hard, the heart that is crushed and wounded, the heart that is sick with sin, God, we know you accept us just as we are. So we reach out to you and receive you as our God. We know that if we love, we will lose. For any of those who have been, who have been hurt so deeply by loving that they determine never to love again, God, open their hearts to loving you and to loving others. Provide the hope we need to get up and go again. The trust that you will heal us and the courage to love again. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. 
For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.